Good evening, welcome to Wellspring and our Good Friday service. My name is Katie Gale. I'm one of the pastors here at Wellspring. We haven't met yet. I'm just so, so glad that you're with us tonight. I have a three-year-old son and uh, not that long ago, I was driving through Starbucks to get a little pick-me-up because I have a three-year-old son, so I need that. Uh, and I decided I was gonna get Micah a cake pop as a little treat, which of course he loved. And then not that long after that, we were driving through again. And then this time Micah was ready with his request. Um, and then pretty quickly, Micah started to notice that little green mermaid symbol of Starbucks, like everywhere we went. And we'd be driving around and he'd be like, mom, there it is, we have to go. We have to go and get a cake pop. You know, this is so important to me. He started to notice this symbol that was pointing to something that he felt like he needed or he wanted. We look all around us in our world and there are just a million symbols and images vying for our attention and our allegiance. We have a flag with stars and stripes on it that point us to the national identity we're meant to embrace. Uh, we have, um, as we drive around, there's big yellow M's or cows, you know, that are luring us in for fast food. There are these little symbols with apples on them in our pockets and on our desktops that are demanding our attention every moment and connecting us to the whole world. There's letters on our TV screens like CNN or FOX or NBC that are shaping our worldviews. There's a little smiley face on the boxes that come to our front door that bring everything that you could ever want or need. There are so many symbols all around us that are trying to tell us what's most important, what we should care about, who we should be. And as we walk into this room, we see that the central image we see is the cross. The cross leads our processional, the cross sits high above us, the cross marks our foreheads, our lips, our hearts. We are people of the cross. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, the early church, who were facing persecution, scorn, mockery, and martyrdom, they chose the cross as the central symbol, the central symbol to unite and define them. The cross, which pointed to Jesus' brutal execution as a common criminal, the cross, which for the world showed that Jesus failed to be the king that he said he would be. They chose the cross. John Stott says in his book, The Cross of Christ, which is a beautiful book that I highly recommend and I'm indebted to for this sermon. He says that the fact that a cross became the Christian symbol and that Christians stubbornly refused, in spite of ridicule, to discard it in favor of something less offensive can only have one explanation. It means that the centrality of the cross originated in the mind of Jesus himself. Tonight we look at a cross that is cloaked in darkness as we rehearse the events of Good Friday. Good Friday is the day that Jesus hung on that cross where he was beaten, broken, rejected, humiliated, and ultimately gave up his life. And we call that good, Good Friday. Why do we do that? Jesus always knew his life in ministry was leading him to the cross. The cross stood at the center of Jesus' purpose. The cross was the intersection of humanity's sin and God's redemptive work in the world. 
that Jesus was not taken by surprise when he was led to the cross. The gospels tell us he had a whole range of emotions leading up to the cross. He was overcome with grief by the actions of those around him. He was weighed down by the pain that he knew he was going to endure. He felt the depth of emotion of knowing he would be disowned and abandoned in his greatest time of need. He felt a lot of emotions, but, but he was not surprised by the cross. We see three times in the book of Mark that Jesus predicts his death. In Mark 8, it says, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man, which is how he described himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and then he must be killed and after three days rise again. And then in Mark 9, the next chapter, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise again. And then in Mark 10, it says again, 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 he took the 12, his closest friends together, and he told them what was going to happen to them, to him. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Jesus clearly foresaw and repeatedly foretold his coming death. Again, John Stott says, despite the great importance of Jesus' teaching, which is incredibly important, and his example and his works of compassion and power, all great things, none of these was central to his mission. What dominated his mind was not the living, but the giving of his life. The cross was ever before Jesus. It was the thing that his life was moving towards. It was the focal point of his ministry and his purpose. As it is with us, the cross should be ever before us, the focal point of our lives, of our purpose, of our identity. In our passage of scripture today out of Hebrews 12, the author of Hebrews is writing to the early church and they are facing difficulty, persecution, prejudice, discouragement, fear, all because they've given their allegiance to Jesus. They're following Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews writes to the early church and he says, persevere in your suffering. Persevere in your suffering. And he, he doesn't say, do it in your own strength. But he says, look to God. And before our passage in Hebrews 11, he gives this long list of other people of faith who have persevered, who have followed God faithfully regardless of their circumstances. It's a beautiful chapter that we can just stand on these examples. And then in our passage today in verse one, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, you know, we have all of these examples of people who are standing firm, persevering in their faith, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us live our lives of obedience to God. How do we do that? On verse two, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We don't look to our circumstances, no matter what we're going through. We look to Jesus and who is this Jesus? What is he like? Well, he continues, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, 
and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We could spend a lifetime meditating upon that verse. The last couple of weeks as I've been thinking about this night and the sermon, that verse has just been replaying over and over in my mind. And so that's where I want us to camp tonight. And I, I pray that it's a verse that you memorize and that you allow it to replay over and over in your mind. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now I want to look at three things tonight. The first is, what did Jesus endure? Because we need to understand the depth of his suffering in order to experience the glory of his victory. And the second thing I want us to look at is why did he endure the cross? What was the joy set before him? And then finally, how do we respond? How do we respond to this? I just want to acknowledge that it is difficult for us to grasp the gravity and the cruelty of the crucifixion today. We don't practice this form of execution in the modern world. But historians will tell us that death on a cross is probably the most cruel method of execution that's ever been practiced. It deliberately delayed death until maximum torture had been inflicted. It was brutal. It was shocking. It was pain unimaginable. And that's what Jesus, our Savior, endured. On the cross, Jesus was beaten, humiliated, mocked, abandoned, in our gospel passage that was read out of Mark 15, we heard that Pilate, the political leader of the day, had Jesus flogged, which was a, a brutal whipping and, beep and beating before he was led to the cross. And then Jesus, who's the king of kings, we know him to be the Lord of lords, but he wasn't the king that they expected, and so they mock him, they humiliate him. In verse 17, it says they put a purple robe on him. Purple is the sign of royalty, but they didn't believe he was royal. And then they twisted together a crown of thorns. They placed it on his head. I can just feel that pain. And then they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! And falling on their knees, they, they paid homage to him, pretending to worship him. And then as they mocked him, it says, then they took off his purple robe and put on his own clothes and then led him to crucify him. Can you imagine the humility that Jesus must have had to withstand that? The frustration he must have felt to be subjected to such humiliation when he could have revealed his glory. He could have revealed his power and said, let me show you what I can do and rubbed it in their faces. And yet he endured the cross. He took the beating. He had his hands and his feet pierced. And then that, this direct temptation for him to abandon his call to the cross comes in verse 29. It says, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, you know, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, the pastors, they mock him among themselves and say, he saved others, but he can't save himself. You know, let this Messiah 
this king of Israel come down from the cross that we may see and believe. You know, if you're so powerful, Jesus, why are you hanging up there? Come down and save yourself, then maybe we'll believe you. I can't imagine the the loneliness of that moment, to be so misunderstood, so rejected, so humiliated. He was on the cross to save them, and yet they hurled insults, they mocked, they tempted him to reject his obedience to the Father. And then as he is hanging on the cross, enduring unimaginable physical pain, he also experiences the pain of utter aloneness, of being abandoned and forsaken by his father. And he he cried out in Aramaic in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which meant, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? And he breathes his last breath. And yet for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And our verse also says that for the joy set before him, he scorned its shame. Now there are two layers to the shame of the crucifixion. The first is that death on a cross was reserved for criminals, for those who were deemed unfit to live, who were considered to be subhuman. It was actually illegal for a Roman citizen to be crucified because it was thought to be so degrading. And Jesus died the shameful death of a lowly criminal, wrongfully accused. Pilate said, I can find no charge against this man. And yet he was sentenced to death, misunderstood. His reputation, which was one of glory, thousands of people would follow him to see what he would do. Just last Sunday, a Palm Sunday, we celebrated this triumphal entry of people following Jesus and hailing him as king. And now here he is, disgraced. And then the deeper layer of the shame of the crucifixion is that this form of death, hanging on a tree, which is another way that scripture describes it, is this was actually in in Deuteronomy 21. It's described as being under the curse of God. It's hard to comprehend how offensive it would have been to the Jews of that day and today to believe that God's Messiah, God's chosen one, would die under God's curse by being strung up on a tree. And yet, as Paul says in Galatians 2, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone who's hung up on a pole or on a tree. Jesus died a shameful death, the death of a criminal, cursed by man and God himself. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why? Why would Jesus endure the cross? Why didn't he respond to the people when they shouted, you saved others, why can't you save yourself? Or just come down and we'll believe you. He endured, here's the key, because the joy set before Jesus was that he knew that he would be seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That if he came down from the cross, he would save himself and yet lose those he loves. But if he endured the cross, he would ascend to the rightful place at the right hand of the throne of God. And nothing would be the same. That the kingdom of God would be ushered in. That Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords would make all things new. And so he endured the cross. 
the joy set before Jesus, now listen to this, the joy set before Jesus is that he knew he would sit down, that he has sat down, it is done. He is seated there now at the right hand of the throne of God. And that is nothing short of salvation for the entire world and for you. William L. Lane says, his session at the right hand is the guarantee of the absoluteness of Christ's exaltation and utter security of those who have placed their hope in him. It is done. The guarantee of the absoluteness of Christ's work on the cross means that Jesus has reconciled, Jesus has redeemed, and Jesus has restored creation by enduring the cross. Jesus reconciled to himself all that was separated, far away, broken. Our Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created all things and desires relationship with his creation. And yet there is separation between us and God. And that's not because God is distant. That's not because God has turned his back on us. But it's because of our sin that we have turned from God. We have tried to put things or ourselves in the place of God. And that has broken our relationship with him. And Christ became the curse that we deserve in our sin in order to reconcile, to bring us back into relationship with him. Romans 5 says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if we, while we were God's enemies, were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? There is nothing, nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. No sin, no past mistake, no addiction, nothing you can do can keep you from a relationship with God because of Christ's work, because he endured the cross. You are reconciled to him. And you are redeemed because Christ endured the cross. You are made new. Your whole identity has changed to be a child of God. Our world works so hard to tell us what our identity is. They say, you are worth, your worth comes from how much money you make or the car you drive or the house that you live in. You know, you're accepted because of your talent or what you produce or how gifted you are with sports. You belong because of your sexual orientation. You're valuable because of how many likes you get on social media or the perception that you put out to the world and whether or not people like that. No, lies. That does not define you. You are a child of God. You have been adopted into the family of God. You are a new creation. Holy, loved, forgiven, seen, wanted. You are the joy set before Jesus. Your redemption, your salvation. Christ so desires to see the, the, those that are created in the image of God who have been marred by sin to live into the transformation, the redemption that he has secured. That was the joy set before him to endure the cross. And the joy set before Jesus to endure the cross was also none other than the restoration of all things. 
This world is broken. There is sin, evil, death, loss, pain. We feel it in our lives. We see it as we look out in the world, the atrocities, the injustices around the world. Romans 8 says that creation itself is groaning, longing to be restored. And because of Christ's work on the cross, because he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, that he has done it, he has done the work to reconcile, redeem, to restore all that has been lost and broken and destroyed by sin. And because of that, we can look forward to the day in Revelation 21 when he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Christ has reconciled, Christ has redeemed, Christ has restored. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So how do we respond to that? Verse three of our passage says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. Consider Jesus. Now there are three different kinds of people in this room. The first are people who are faithfully following Jesus in your everyday lives. And maybe this is a season of joy and renewal or it's a season of discouragement and grief. And I want to say to you, Consider Jesus. Look to him as the pioneer and the perfecter of your faith. Consider him when you feel weary, when you feel like you're going to lose heart. Look upon the cross and remember his joy, his love over you. He is your vision. He is your life. He is your sustainer. Now, there's a second group of people who have known Jesus at some point in their life and right now you feel distant in your faith. Maybe discouragement or disappointment and unanswered prayers has made you think that God's forgotten you. Maybe you're wrestling with whether the church and Christ are relevant to your life or to this world. Maybe you've grown apathetic or you've allowed the world to overwhelm your identity. And I want to say to you, consider Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross to make all things new. And that includes you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I pray you would see the cross with fresh eyes tonight. That you would hear the voice of Jesus calling you home. And then there's a third group of people that, that you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never considered Jesus or you're just at the beginning of this journey. And, and I want to say to you, consider Jesus. There is no other place, there is no other person who has the words of life, who knows you, who can redeem you and restore you, who can make sense of this world. Consider Jesus, open your heart to him, gaze upon the cross and what he has done for you. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Lord, we do fix our eyes on you. Thank you, Jesus, for enduring the cross, for securing our salvation. 
We open our hearts to you and we ask you to speak to us tonight. We surrender our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna go into a time of worship and reflection. I'm gonna invite the band forward and I just pray in this time that our hearts, our ears would be open to our God.